0: Hello friends, I am Micah Woods, the Chief Scientist at the Asian Turfgrass Center. In today's episode of the ATC Double Cut, we will take a look at a recent blog post that I did about coring, about hollow cultivation. And this is one that I wrote in response to some feedback that I got from John Riley. I had shared a post, and I will put direct links to all of these posts in the show notes so that you can have a look at these and get some more information about this important and always somewhat controversial topic. I don't think it needs to be controversial, but sometimes it comes across that way. So I want to explain it carefully today. The uh, The original post is one that I wrote a couple years ago. And I had shared that. And it showed that when you core aerify, it doesn't actually remove as much organic matter from the root zone as you might think. And that surprised me the first time that I calculated it. And then I worked through some more calculations, and as I got familiar with the way that the numbers work out, I realized, yeah, it's kind of bound to be that way, because when you core aerify, you're not removing that much of the root zone, and you're only removing a tiny amount of organic matter. So the overall organic matter content of the root zone doesn't change very much when you core aerify. So I'd shared that, and there was a bit of discussion on Twitter about that, and John Riley, who is the golf course superintendent at Longboat Key Club in Florida I believe that's where he's at he made a very insightful comment and he's basically he said that obviously there is an effect is a benefit to coring because a lot of people are getting a good result from it so maybe we shouldn't focus so much on the organic matter reduction as a benefit because um Well, in fact, I will just read a paraphrase of what he wrote to make it very clear. So this is what he wrote in response to my sharing of that original article that I'd written that showed that organic matter doesn't reduce very much from coring. So he he wrote, for the amount of mechanical disruption and cost of coring should organic matter reduction be considered a statistically significant reason for the practice. Maybe the real benefit is something else. That was his question and, or his uh, his insight there. And then he said, if there is no to less than statistically significant change to organic matter afforing, should soil organic matter reduction be considered a benefit of the process based on the number. Obviously, benefits of coring exist. And I wrote back to him after I'd read those comments and I said, good point, that gives me an idea for another blog post. And that's the one that I'm talking about today in this ATC Double Cut. I said, I think the benefit is growth stimulation. If that's needed, then cultivation helps. And I made a note at that time in my file, uh, about upcoming blog posts, my, uh, my long list of things that I would like to write about. And I thought, you know, when I get home, I'm going to look up a textbook and I'm going to look at the list of all of the things that are given as textbook reasons for coring. And I'm going to explain my take on this and explain why I think that the primary reason one would want to core is if growth stimulation is needed, if there needs to be a burst of growth or more rapid growth to generate some more plant material for a while. So this blog post that we're talking about today is titled, Coring, Maybe the Real Benefit is Something Else. And it is my answer to what John Riley suggested. So I, I've i been traveling a lot, as regular listeners of the show will know. And in fact, I'm recording this from a hotel room, as you might be able to see uh, if you're watching this. Anyway, I was home for a few days uh, last week, and I looked up the excellent Turgeon and Kaminsky, turf grass management book and i put a link to that in the blog post as well uh, where you can buy that book which is really a good value uh it's it's half the price or less than uh other turf grass management books and it's in full color so i just think it's wonderful um to have all of the images and the graphics in color for this book so anyway there's a link to that in the blog post and On page 192 in chapter 6, there are listed nine benefits of coring. I will just read these. And I, I don't think they're meant to be in any particular order, but they are numbered. So I'll just read what it says in the book. Benefits of coring include the following. One, release of toxic gases from the soil. 2. Improved wetting of dry or hydrophobic soils. 3. Accelerated drying of persistently wet soils. 4. Increased infiltration capacity, especially where surface compaction or thatch limits infiltration. 5. Stimulated root growth within the holes. 6. Increased shoot growth atop the holes. Seven, disruption of soil layers resulting from top dressing. Eight, control of thatch, especially where soil cores are reincorporated or where top dressing follows coring. Nine, improved turf grass response to fertilizers. I have often been focused on item number eight, control of thatch. Especially where soil cores are reincorporated, or where top dressing follows coring, because I have thought, and I wrote about this in the blog post, that yes, coring can do all of that, but there are less disruptive or more efficient ways to accomplish item one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and nine. Um, if I want to release toxic gases from the soil, I don't need to core. I could, solid or vent or slice if i need to improve the wetting of dry or hydrophobic soils i can use wetting agents i can irrigate more carefully i can use other types of soil cultivation that don't necessarily involve pulling cores. i've always thought that there are really good alternative ways to accomplish most of these other items on the list that are given as textbook benefits of coring except i have focused on item number eight the control of thatch or the control of soil organic matter and the incorporation of sand top dressing i have often thought that that was really the primary reason that one would do that so um let's see what did i write uh yes for item 8, I used to focus on that. Suggesting the control of thatch through organic matter removal with core removal was the primary reason one would want to core. But I don't I don't go that far anymore. I don't focus on that anymore because I have made the calculations and figured out for myself and reread uh, some old and new research and realized wait a second coring doesn't actually reduce organic matter at all it's the sand that you add that would potentially lead to a reduction in organic matter but the main thing to do is just don't create the organic matter in the first place just don't grow the grass too fast so so that one um, doesn't ideally one will not have too much organic matter simply through controlling the growth rate So uh, I often write about that kind of thing on my website, and there are various blog posts that tend to be the ones that get the most views, although I think it might not be views because people like to read it, but it's more like uh, people read it and they might disagree with it. So they want to check and see what this crazy information is that coring is not an essential and wonderful maintenance practice. So anyway, I uh, I'm not trying to be controversial. I just try to explain what my understanding of this process is, and what my understanding of turfgrass uh, maintenance and turfgrass organic material management right at the surface of a root zone should be, or could be. So, John Riley pointed out that obvious benefits to coring exist, and maybe organic matter reduction should not be considered a primary benefit of coring. I admit that I once thought that it was, but if you note the textbook list that I wrote there, that I I just copied that verbatim from the textbook, it's only one out of nine items on the list. It's only control of thatch that is listed as a benefit and not, even they don't go so far to be exactly saying, that you'd get a reduction in organic matter. They just say control of thatch. But I agree with John that there are benefits of coring. And for me, the way that I think about it now, at the time that I am recording this, what I think the benefit of coring is, and I, I wrote this in the blog post, I said, it seems obvious to me that the benefit is growth stimulation if one needs the turf to grow more perhaps to fill in some thin areas coring is a great way to accomplish that if one needs to create larger plants more below ground biomass and more above ground biomass coring is a great way to accomplish that because you get uh you get a growth burst after coring and i don't know that that is entirely due to the coring itself because there are a lot of things that go along with coring like extra fertilizer, an increased supply of water, reduced mowing frequency, increased mowing height temporarily, perhaps some reduction in plant growth regulators. And any of those maintenance practices on their own, I wrote, could lead to more growth. But you put all of those together and you combine all of those maintenance practices, all those temporary changes in maintenance that go along with coring, the extra fertilizer and water and increased mowing height, reduction in growth regulators, combine that with that, all that extra oxygen and air in the soil that can lead to a burst of nitrogen mineralization also and that is bound to happen when the soil gets disturbed. If you do that during a time of the year when the soils are not bitterly cold, there is almost certainly going to be a growth response. So if you need to fill in some areas that are thin, if you need to create bigger plants, and by bigger plants, I mean the, the plant will have a bigger below ground biomass and perhaps some some more above-ground biomass as well, then coring is a great way to do that. But we don't necessarily uh, want to have bigger plants. We don't necessarily want to have a growth burst if our turf is already just fine. So if we can avoid letting it get thinned out, and if we can always keep the turf in good enough condition that we don't need to... Uh, we don't need to force it to have a growth burst, then I think we can often avoid coring and avoid the disruption that that causes and just manage the organic material accumulation through sand top dressing, if necessary. Ideally, uh, get the growth rate just right so that the grass is growing fast enough so that it always maintains a good surface and doesn't thin out, but we can also avoid the extra growth that might lead to organic material accumulation at the soil surface that would need to be removed by coring or uh, diluted with sand top dressing or removed by scarification or anything like that. So I wrote in one of the final paragraphs, I said, one way of managing turf Is restricted growth or is to restrict growth and put a lot of stress on the turf in between coring events. In that case, the coring event could be just the growth burst needed to recover from the stress and to prepare the plants to make them large enough again to handle the upcoming stretch of restricted growth and low mowing and high traffic. And I guess that's kind of the conventional way. But there is also the management approach that I advocate now and that I think might be possible at a lot of places around the world. And that is to try to keep the conditions good almost all the time. Try to have limited growth all the time, but not too low. Hopefully not letting the grass thin out enough that it ever needs the growth stimulation of a coring event hopefully not letting the organic matter, the organic material ever accumulate to the level that it needs to be removed by coring and replaced by sand. So there's always the option, I wrote, to core and to get that growth stimulation. There's always that option, and it's a tool that is great to have. But the way that I would like to manage now, I'd try to, make the intervention of coring the intervention that then creates or allows all that growth stimulation i would like to do that as infrequently as possible so that's what i wrote about in that blog post about the benefits of coring and maybe the real benefit of coring is something else that it's not organic matter management so i i think that this is a topic that makes sense to a lot of people although when i share that blog post and say um here is a blog post that lists the textbook reasons for coring i see a lot of other people reshare it and i think that perhaps they didn't read all the all the way to the end and see that I'm suggesting that maybe we don't need to core so often because for me, some of those textbook reasons are accomplished in other ways. You know, we have a little bit more time because I've got another blog post that I want to talk about. So let me go ahead and do that while I am recording this. And the next post that I want to talk about is about estimated nitrogen mineralization from soil organic matter. So this one is is another recent post that I made, and this one is one that I thought of as I was listening to Frank Rossi on the Frankly Speaking podcast, his show, And he had a very interesting episode recently. There's a link to that episode in the blog post also. So, all of these links you'll find in the show notes, in the description, uh, and on my website at asianturfgrass.com. Frank spoke with Doctors Claire Phillips and Alec Koaleski. And they were talking about carbon in turfgrass soils, about carbon sequestration in turfgrass soils and about carbon emissions from turf grass maintenance and they got to talking about mineralization of soil organic matter soil organic matter now we're talking about soil organic matter that is actually soil organic matter it's it's not soil organic material soil organic material i define as all the organic material soil organic matter notice the difference i'm I'm using the words matter, and I'm using the words material. By material, I mean everything, the thatch, the roots, the living roots, the dead roots, the earthworms, the humus, the rhizomes, the everything, the the stems of the plants, the grass clippings, that sit on the surface of the soil. That's what I mean by material. But soil organic matter actually has a definition that excludes a lot of that, except for the humus. Soil organic matter is defined as the organic component of the soil, excluding the undecomposed living and dead plant material. So when you have a a root, that is undecomposed. So a root is not soil organic matter. Even though it's organic material, it does not count as soil organic matter. Neither does thatch. Thatch is not soil organic matter either. So when we're talking about soil organic matter, that is something that's good. We would like to have as much soil organic matter as possible because it increases the cation exchange capacity, it stores carbon, soil organic matter is about 58% carbon. So you can, you can switch between soil organic matter or soil carbon by using uh, that conversion. And the soil organic matter, the other, the 42% of soil organic matter that is not carbon, um, that is things like uh, nitrogen, sulfur, phosphorus, micronutrients, various other things that are not carbon, but as that organic matter breaks down, as it's mineralized, those become plant available nutrients. So Frank asked the question, he, he asked the question at about the 26 minute and 50 second mark of that very interesting podcast about soil organic matter and carbon in turfgrass soils. He said, can you imagine a system? He asked his guests, can you imagine a system where simply having water available to keep that soil functioning would provide enough nitrogen to the grass? And that is a very interesting question. And it's something that over the past few years, I've been calculating and providing on soil test reports that I do. So when any of ATC's clients send a soil sample and we get that tested at Brookside Labs and then I prepare a report, one of the calculations that I make is based on the amount of soil organic matter in their soil test results and based on the temperatures at their site, I will make a calculation that estimates the nitrogen mineralization month by month for the upcoming year. And I sh- I showed four typical examples that I think are, uh, well, typical. They, this shows some of the things that you might expect, such as, If there's more organic matter in the soil, you're going to have more mineralization. That's one thing. Uh, Number two, if you are in a very cold location, so I showed for a subarctic location, uh, one of the charts that I showed, the total estimated nitrogen mineralization is quite low because the soil temperatures are so low, so you won't have so much microbial activity. And in a tropical location, I also showed in a tropical location what the results would look like. So I've got a chart there that you could look at to see what that type of um, what that type of calculation looks like for four different uh, sites. And I annotated that with the grass type and the type of climate that it was in. And then I wrote about this also. So, for example, the first one is 0.94% soil organic matter, less than 1%, and it is creeping bentgrass greens in the transition zone. This is a little bit below average. This is, uh, I I think the average organic matter on creeping bentgrass greens uh, is something like 1.4% in the ATC data set. So these samples were collected in January of 2022 so on the chart I showed the estimated nitrogen mineralization that starts in the next month it starts in February of 2022 and there are high temperatures because this location was in the transition zone but even though it's in the transition zone when you so so you have high soil temperatures but when you have less than 1% organic matter in the soil you're just not going to get that much mineralization if you have zero organic matter in the soil you'll have zero mineralization so you could have perfect soil moisture and perfect temperature conditions for mineralization but if you don't have the organic matter there to begin with you're not going to have so much mineralization so for this site the total annual mineralization that is estimated is 2 grams of nitrogen per square meter per year or 0.4 pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet. And the reason why I like to show this monthly rather than annually. So of course I I calculate annual total, but I, I show on the soil test reports what this is predicted to be on a monthly basis because i like to know when you can expect that nitrogen to be mineralized. And for this location, in the transition zone, at the site temperatures that will be typical for that location, 40% of that mineralization is expected to happen in the two hottest months of the year, in July and August. And then I showed another example. This one is all the way up to 5.6% soil organic matter, But this is fairways in the transition zone, and it is zoysia. Zoysia fairways in the transition zone. And at this location, the soil organic matter of 5.6% leads to an estimated mineralization of 12 grams of nitrogen per square meter per year, or 2.4 pounds of nitrogen per 1,000 square feet. So at this location, from... 5.6% soil organic matter, which is now a nice healthy amount of soil organic matter for fairways, that might be enough for zoysia fairways. This is manila grass fairways at that location. And I think that uh, if you have mature manila grass fairways and they're getting about 12 grams of nitrogen per square meter through mineralization, I'm not sure that one would really need to add too much more as fertilizer. So that one also, it shows when that nitrogen is expected to be mineralized. And I find that useful in planning the fertilizer applications. And then another one is 3.4% soil organic matter. And these are fescue poa greens in the subarctic. And I will tell all those of you watching or listening, of uh, this is from a golf course putting green in, or, or some golf course putting greens in Reykjavik, in Iceland. So, at this location, it's relatively cool. But 3.4% organic matter is quite a bit. 3.4% organic matter from these putting greens is a lot higher than the zero, well, the less than 1% that we had in the transition zone site. Now, maybe the reason why there's more organic matter is because it's so cold in Reykjavik that the organic matter doesn't break down so much. It doesn't mineralize so much in the summer, so you can just keep adding and adding more carbon to the soil, adding more soil organic matter to the soil in a colder location. I think that that probably has a lot to do with it. So even though this place has more than three and a half times as much organic matter as the transition zone location, the estimated nitrogen mineralization is 1.6 grams of nitrogen per square meter or 0.3 pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet. That's how much is Estimated to be mineralized to become plant available over the upcoming year. And I wrote, notice the striking difference with the first transition zone location we looked at. This subarctic location has 3.6 times more soil organic matter than does the transition zone location, but expects less annual and mineralization because of low temperatures. So that is what did we have? We had two grams estimated mineralization from the transition zone location, and we only have uh, 1.6 grams here in the subarctic location. And I showed another one, which is 1.9% soil organic matter, Bermuda grass greens in a tropical climate. And for this location, it is a lot of mineralization. So this is less soil organic matter than we have in in Reykjavik. In Reykjavik, it was 3.4% soil organic matter. Now we're 1.9% soil organic matter in a tropical climate. But the estimated nitrogen mineralization for the upcoming 12 months was estimated here at 8.6 grams of nitrogen per square meter or 1.7 pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet. That is a substantial amount maybe, I think about 20 to 25% of what the estimated annual use of the grass may be at this location. Now, why do we get more mineralization at this location, way more than we got in Reykjavik? Even though the organic matter in the soil is less, the organic matter is considerably less about 60% of what it was in Reykjavik, but the mineralization is four or five times more. it's simply because of the temperatures. In a tropical location, it's warm year round, and you will have mineralization happening at rapid rates year round, assuming that there's enough air in the soil and assuming there's enough water in the soil. So I thought it's interesting that Dr. Rossi asked that that question and I wanted to show how I try to answer that for all of the soil test reports that I do. So that is two recent blog posts that you can find on the ATC website. You can find those uh, at asianturfgrass.com. I have newsletters that if you like to get email newsletters with the full text of each blog post on the same day that it is released you can subscribe to that uh, and you can find that on the newsletters tab at asianturfgrass.com i would like to thank you for listening i think that these topics are quite uh quite important to understand it's important to understand how mineralization is expected to occur at your site and it is important to understand what the real benefits of coring are. So I hope that you'll have a look, that you'll consider these topics, maybe have a look at these blog posts and have a, yeah, have have a consideration of how this might be related to you. All right, I am at the Portuguese Greenkeepers Congress and I'm going to go give a presentation this afternoon in a few minutes so i will sign off soon thank you for your interest in these topics for atc from porto i am michael woods